Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. And on today's program, my guest is Glenn Hatchell, returning for the eighth installment of Ask the Trainer. You may recall that about two years ago, we conducted something of an experiment here, trying out an extended new segment called Ask the Trainer. And the trainer, of course, in this case, was Glenn Hatchell. A former WMNF programmer, Glenn is an accomplished dog trainer and behaviorist and currently works as a behavior and enrichment manager at the Humane Society of Tampa Bay. He obtained the Certified Professional Dog Trainer Certification in 2014. In that initial show and the ensuing seven ones we presented, we invited listeners to call or email in with questions about their dogs or cats, behavior or training, and Glenn responded. People seemed to really appreciate the help and guidance Glenn provided, and of course the information he offered was simultaneously helpful to many of those listening as well. So we now present Ask the Trainer every three or four months or so, including today, when we again invite those listeners to call in at 813-239-9663. We've learned over the uh, eight shows or so that we've been doing this that uh, phone calls tend to be most effective because they enable Glenn to ask the caller follow-up questions and then he can kind of more precisely assess the issue and maybe better calibrate his recommended solution or suggestion. Still, for listeners unable to call or just prefer not to call, we also aim to Incorporate questions submitted by email at dj at wmnf.org or via text, which is 813-433-0885. So you can feel free to call or email now while Glenn and I chat for a moment or two before we start taking some calls or emails and to ask the trainer. So good morning, Glenn. Good morning, Duncan. How you doing? Great, great, great. Thanks for joining us again and doing yet another uh, huge public service that we call Ask the Trainer in this particular instance. This is my way to keep my foot in MNF, you know? Well, that's great. We're all the better for it and I really appreciate it. You know how busy you are. And so this is really cool. And again, as I mentioned in the, the opening there, people really seem to appreciate your, your guidance and whether it's the actual caller or emailer or just people who listen and can say, hey, that kind applies to uh, my dog as well so that's helpful as kind of a bonus situation as well so so let's talk about an interesting notion especially in the realm of training and behavior and that's giving an animal the choice to do what we want or not because at first blush that might seem sort of counterintuitive like if we're trying to produce a particular behavior but it's actually a boon it seems like from what i gather to their overall behavior and how they make decisions to, to give them this kind of option. Explain how this works. Well, this is something that over the years really has been, as, as, as science and research has been able to do more and more studies in long term, um, what they actually have learned is that uh, for, again, most animals, I don't ever like to make generalized statements, but for most animals, if they have the choice of whether they want to do what we're trying to get them to do at the moment, then it helps increase their or helps build their resiliency for unknown uh, scenarios that they may come across, you know, new situations that they're in. Um, But it also then builds their confidence because they may be a little bit hesitant going into something. And then once they do it and realize, well, that wasn't so bad, I didn't die. Um, which is, you know, we've, we, that's, a, that's a popular phrase you'll hear at different, but did you die? You yeah. Know? No, didn't, but it was scary. It was going through it. And what we've learned with animals, and I keep saying animals because this isn't unique to dogs. This is pretty much for most animals, that if we give them the right setup, we can get them to do what we want on their own accord, on their own choice. So when I say setup, I'll use an example of 
let's say if there's two doors that a dog wants to go through or that we want to walk, but we've got two doors we have to go through to get the dog down the hallway, for example. Um, Many people may be facing this um, in where they live, especially if you live in Tampa or St. Pete now and live in the downtown area, there's a good chance you're going to have multiple doors because of stairs and different kinds of things that the dogs are going to have to go through. What we've learned or what I've learned over time as we've worked with more and more dogs here is that sometimes with that being, let's say the doors being closed, the dog's not sure what's going to happen next. But if we open both of those doors, and the dog can actually see the destination of where we're heading, that can often remove the the hesitancy of the dog going through a, a threshold, I'll call it. Um, you know, that could be, um, could be a door, it could be a gate, it could be any number of things like that. Now, sometimes it can be as simple as in that example of opening a door and letting a dog go through. Sometimes there's still hesitation. Let's say, for example, that um, there's dogs that are barking on the other side or there's a noise on the other side of that door that is causing a little hesitation for the dog. Well, sometimes we'll do what's called a treat trail. So let's say that We want to get the dog to cross a yellow line. Just imagine a yellow line, and we're trying to get the dog to cross that, and the dog's hesitant. If we put something yummy, or yummy being, let's say, something the dog likes, it could be a ball if it's a a dog that really likes fetch. Um, It could be just some pieces of kibble if they're, you know, dry food, if they're really motivated by those things. Sometimes we have to use high-value rewards, like maybe a piece of hot dog or a piece of cheese. Often at that point, then the dog's going to say, well, I'm hesitant about doing that, but if there's a piece of cheese over there, you better believe I'm going to do it. And so sometimes you can call that a bribe if you want, but (laughs) the dog in this case has made the choice to cross or to accept that challenge because of the reward that's going to be on the other side of it. An analogy I like to use, I mean, for people who have been in sales or have kind of worked on things like that, a lot of times if there's a new product that comes out that's got a little learning curve and maybe the salesperson doesn't want to sell it, what the company will do is put a bonus on it. It says if you you sell this product, you're going to get something a little bit extra for it. And it's a similar kind of thing that, okay, you're hesitant or you don't maybe want to do this, but if you get on the other side of it, look what the reward is for you. So it's, it sounds like another term that you slide in there would be incentive. Ag- absolutely. Absolutely. Incentive, motivation, whatever you want to call it and look at it along that line. But the idea here is that the dog is, or the animal is making a choice to do that, to go over. I'll give you an example. I've talked about dog here for a moment. But actually, we had about a two-month-old pig that came in several months ago. And this pig was extremely social and friendly. And one of the things that, uh, well, obviously one of the uh, that needs to happen with all animals is um, vet checks and such. So what I started working with this pig was to get social, get him to come up to me and things along that line. But also being young like that, I wanted to work out some, I wanted to get some exercise going, some sort of enrichment. So in the pen where we had this pig, 
I had a, a palm tree um, nut stump. What am I looking at? A piece of a palm tree that had been cut. It was about, I don't know, maybe three feet long or something like that. And basically, it was the kind of thing that would roll. And what I, what I, my objective on this was I wanted to get this pig to actually go over the top of the log. There's the word I was looking for, log. Okay. <laughs> and, um, so, but obviously, the, or what happened at the beginning was the pig wanted to walk around the log. It's like, well, no, I don't want you to do that. So I began by getting the pig to put his, um, Paws, what do we call? What do we feet? Hooves, yeah. Hooves, um, up to begin with, because again, I was. I think in his case, I was using pieces of apple. So I continued with this little, small, successive approximation, small little step of if you put your paws up on the log, I'll give you a piece of apple. And so quickly, the pig realized that well, this is there's nothing to that. I'll put my paws up there. And the apple was enough of an incentive that the fact that the log rolled a little bit, the pig didn't care. And within two or three minutes, because of the incentive of the apple, I was able to get the pig to go over the log. Even though at first he wanted to go around it, didn't have any idea what to do. Once he did that, I think it was a he, maybe it was a she, did that, um, after that, it was never an issue. Would absolutely go right over it without a problem. So that became kind of a habit then? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And again, I think a big piece of that is the positive reinforcement of if you do this, I'm going, you're going to get a reward for it on the other side. And with that positive reinforcement, it's like, okay, I did it. Nothing happened. I got here and I got this really good, yummy thing. So there was that ongoing incentive for her to to do that because she knew I was going to give her some, she was going to get a piece of apple on the other side. Did she get the piece of apple, Glenn, each time she went over the log or just those initial couple of times? Great question. In her case, I continued to give her the apple, but what I did was moved from that and started working on her standing in front of me. Um, so because I was mimicking at that point of her standing like at a fence, for example, or at a gate for a vet to be able to um, administer medicines and such. Mm. Because with a dog, it's pretty easy to, well, assuming that they're okay with, with being held, it's not extremely difficult to restrain a dog but it is to restrain a pig. Yeah. <laughs> so it was moving into um, getting them into that position, which is very, very common in, well, in very, very common in, you know, farm type situations. But even at, I had the um, wonderful opportunity to go spend an afternoon at the Florida Aquarium mm. and observe what the uh, biologists were doing there. And they have otters at the aquarium, I have an otter tank. It's really a lot of fun to watch, but they also have this setup to where the otters move into this area and they will do a number of things. One being lean up against the um, fence, so to speak, um, to be able to get medicines, mm. but also to stand up on their back legs 
and put their paws up because that allows them to do the nail trim. Now, uh. The whole time the otter's doing this, the otter's doing it because it's getting fish, you know? And, sure. And if you watch it, it's like the otter is completely oblivious to anything the biologists were doing. And even though it was a different species there, that process was exactly the same that we do with multiple animals. And again, it's giving the animal the choice to do it, and we're just getting them to do it the way we need them to do it to accomplish whatever it is we are needing to do at that case. And, and you know, in this scenario with the otters, it was, um, you know, veterinary kind of things. In yeah. the case of a dog, it may be getting them to go into an elevator. Right. You know, which I know a lot of people have struggles with getting their dogs to go into an elevator and there's and we'll talk we can talk about it throughout the show and sure there's other examples and so much of this i also learned from i know who is your favorite guest of all time and that's temple grandin um you know one of the things that she talks about and i think it was in animals in translation her book um i think that was the one she talks extensively about uh things that move if cattle need to move from one place to another but there is a banner that moves in the breeze yeah um spooks them yeah and not move forward and actually the same thing happens with dogs i've seen I've, i've seen that before now with dogs often they will realize that oh it's just a flag there's nothing to it but you know that's also a difference between the um you know, I think a dog and cattle, for example. Right. Uh, but again, it's something novel that they don't know. And so there's this, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm nervous about it. I need to stop. I need to wait, you know. Um, and some, and even when the animal is comfortable with it and has done it, there could still be hesitation. That little bit of, you know, they got to take that deep breath to go forward. You know, this is the eighth episode we've done of this show, but still I had to talk myself and do practice um, during that little bit of time I was on hold between when you called me and we went on the air. Um, because, again, there's that unknown. I've done it before, but... Well, what might happen this time? Yeah, we don't yeah. You know exactly. Yeah. So it, that's, and I, I say that to come back to your question, if I continue to give the pig, apple, because that reinforcement, if it starts becoming variable or just kind of the the pig, the dog, the animal knows that they're going to get that in that reward, but they don't, but you know, it happened last time, maybe I'll get it this time and they'll continue to do it. And if we give them that reward regularly enough to where they start anticipating it, then we really start having an acquired behavior um to where it's like oh yeah i can do that and oh guess what sometimes i get cheese when i get on the other side yeah um well i have a i have a follow-up question about that but in case people might be i've just only tuned in now you know this is talking animals on wnf today we're doing ask the trainer the trainer being glenn hatchell on talking animals here on wnf if you have a question about your dog or your cat's behavior or if you have a pig we're talking about a pig's behavior right now uh, we have been, or any kind of training issue, anything related to that. Glenn is fielding those questions right now at 813-239-9663 or email dj at wmnf.org or via text. You can dial 813-433-0885. So having done this a handful of times now, what we've seen, among other things, 
is that people initially don't call in. Uh, and then there's a flurry at the end when we unfortunately often run out of time. So I do suggest if you have a question for Glenn about anything, again, behavior, training related, et cetera, for any kind of animal really that you have in your house there, dial now 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. And then if you do call in, just hang tight. If You might, you might be on hold for a bit while Glenn is... Uh, helping one of the other callers, but we will we will get to everybody if we can. That's why it's advisable to call now as opposed to wait till later into the show where we may get busy and run out of time. So, Glenn, here's my question back to your example. So, like with the pig, if one of those times you didn't give the apple, how would that affect the ongoing results of her walking on the log? Um, well, there is within learning um, or teaching an animal, um, I guess it probably, I keep saying animal, a lot of this obviously applies to humans as well, but that is one of the things that um, that when you go for certifications that you need to understand um, quite well is what's called the um, the, re- the reinforcement rate. So how often are you providing that reward? Mm-hmm. Um, and often what we one would see there is that, well, I'll, I'll go specifically to the example there. I usually would start where I get them to do it three or four times and maybe the fifth time it's like that's such a good pig or such a good dog and then all of a sudden kind of walk off and then come back a couple of minutes later and do it again and i might at that point give two rewards not one the third time one the fourth time and maybe or maybe not the fifth time for example and i used five for an example because that's usually what i've found over time to be about that point to where if we stop it there we can pick up again quickly later and the dog doesn't become the, the the animal doesn't get to the point to where I will do it if you have a piece of cheese, but if you don't, then no, I'm not interested in it. And that's that's one of those cases where we start having to work back because all of a sudden, you know, we're, it it's become more of um, well, they get it every time, and it's not something that you want to do every time with, let's say, sit because you're going to have your dog sitting all the time for different, you know, at different at different moments, at different points. Um, and using, so what I often want owners to start thinking about is that not every, we start off with food because that's something that the animal, most animals are all going to go for. Um, unless there are too much fear, you know, they are going to be motivated by food. Um, <clears throat> once, and so I usually start with food because that's an easy way to get, a, get things going. But using a, I'll, I'll use a cat for an example in this case. Um, we could do a similar thing with cat. Now, a cat is not going to stay as in tune as a dog would for going for that next reward but it could be you're going to get a you're going to get a little bit of tuna here that was good okay now this time you are going to i'm going to toss a ball for you that you can go running after um now i started going with cat there and ball still came in but maybe a dog would be a better example there 
let's say that we've got a dog that really, really likes to chase ball. We could use throwing that ball as the reward for doing a sit, for example, um, because that reward, that reinforcer, that incentive is totally up to the animal because some dogs like hot dogs. Some dogs don't like hot dogs. Yeah, I'll use that as an example there. Some dogs like to fetch, go after balls. Other dogs look at it and don't care. Sure. So that is one of the areas to where, or as far as that, that when, how, how you start weaning them off of the treat. And I use treat because usually food is the one where most people struggle with. Um, that's something that is, is there's certain there's very specific scientific ways to do it but there are still that being in the moment and just having that i'll go with a gut feel of i'm going to start taking the rewards away and see how many times you'll do it and once you hesitate then all of a sudden i'm going to pop in and give you that reward again when you don't expect so that's kind of one of the ways that we work through with you know on trying to get the animal by their own choice to do what it is that we're looking for them to do. All right. Well, that makes sense. We'll circle back to that. Maybe let's take a uh, caller now if we can. Do it. Okay. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with uh, Glenn Hatchell and Ask the Trainer. Hey, Glenn. My name's Jimmy. I'm from St. Pete. I just wanted to know, um, is it, um, are one-syllable names for your dog, is it easier for them to uh, understand? And, um... Maybe after you answer that one, maybe talk about a little bit about discipline, like, say, potty training. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling, Jimmy. Um, yes, sir. There are, there's different, some people feel there's about there. one syllable. Um, that's not unusual. Um, I think, I, well, the, a dog is going to, a dog's going to get used to whatever you do, for example. So if you said, come here instead of come, your dog is going to start associating come here, for example. A lot of people use one syllable because it is something that is easier for them. Um, And there are certain words that kind of, I can't think, I heard something not too long ago, but it kind of has that, um, not emphasis, but that like stretch you know, I'm, I'm just using that because the way it ends with ch. Um, some people like to use words along that line, but the key thing, I think, is to think about and remember that dogs are creatures of habit. So, again, whatever you do regularly and they get used to hearing is what they're going to respond to. Now, I have a tendency with dogs who I don't know to use single syllables, but I'm also a quiet trainer. Um, if I'm working with a dog, it's much more about body language. And if I was going to get them to sit, I would say um, I would say sit, and then I would give um, the hand cue, for example. Um, so sorry, I've got dogs barking, phones ringing. <laughs> That's no, as it should be. You're, you're in the middle of working, and uh, there's the dogs are talking, talking animals. Totally makes sense. That's right. That's right. Um, so it, it really, Jimmy, I think is a is is a personal preference. And but as long as you're consistent, your dog is going to pick right up on on those kinds of things. Now, I would not go obviously with long multiple syllables, 
Um, and again, because the dog's going to be listening for that cue. And, and again, one of the changes in behavior and the concept of letting the dog have the choice is that we want to give them a cue of what we want them to do. You know, a command, if you think of, you know, I'm going to give you a command, you know, it's kind of like there's the command and it gets executed. Well, that doesn't always work with animals. So just that little terminology, obviously, I mean, sometimes you'll hear me say cue, but dogs are listening for that quick cue there. And that's why a lot of trainers will use single syllables. Um, but again, you know, you can go multiple ways with that. Um, as far as potty training, the one of the thing, well, there's difference in potty training with a dog that's new in your house versus one that's been with you for a while. Uh, thinking about a dog that's been with you recently, everything is new. And most likely, everything that dog has ever known in its past life is gone, just has whatever memories there may be. Um, and everything from that point is new, including the routine um, and when they're going to go out next, that, that kind of anticipating what's going to happen next. And for a lot of dogs, that can be the issue is that if, when they're new in a home, all of a sudden they get the urge and realize I got to the bathroom and I don't know when I'm going to go out next. And it could be prompted a little bit by some anxiety, some nervousness, newness in the home, uh, which is one of the reasons why crate training is a very positive thing to do because it helps develop or helps get the dog on a set schedule, set routine. But then again, if you're working from home, I actually am working with someone right now who adopted a dog from us and she has a timer on her phone and every 45 minutes takes him out in the backyard to go potty. The reason for this is that he's sending absolutely no signals that he needs to go to the bathroom. Mm. Um, now, it has gotten much better along that line, and he's been with her for about three, about four uh, four weeks now. So we've mm -hmm. been a month into it. And for a lot of dogs, there is, and really this applies for cats as well, what um, referred to as the rule of threes. And it's uh, three days, three weeks, and three months. And in the first three days, it's not a common for accidents. Um, it's not uncommon for the animal maybe not to eat all that much uh, because everything's new and mm. some animals could come into that shell shocked. But then over the next three weeks, they start being able to anticipate what's going to happen next. And that's when the routine starts coming in. And then usually about three months, is when the the routine's established, the dog's got a, or a cat has a good feel for what things are going to happen. And that's also the time, though, that once they get comfortable in that, we may start seeing some behavior changes. For, you know, and those behavior changes can be good or bad. It just depends on which way things are going to go, yeah. what kind of triggers they have, and those kind of things. But the I think the the... The, the key thing with potty training is out on a regular basis to where the dog doesn't the dog doesn't have a need or a reason to go inside. But again, that is much easier said than done sometimes. Yeah. Now, if it is a big issue or a real major problem, one of the other things is to put the have the dog your dog on the leash and basically you have it attached to you. 
so your dog doesn't have that opportunity to go off in some other part of the house and go to the bathroom when you're not paying attention. So Yeah, no pulling a fast one, I guess, is what you're saying. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thanks to uh, Jimmy. Again, Jimmy called in 813-239-9663. Again, speaking with Glenn Hatchell. It's another edition of Acid Trainer here on Talking Animals on WNF. So if you have a question about your dog or your cat's behavior or a training issue or something related to that, Glenn is fielding those questions. Again, at 813-239-9663. You can also email dj at wmnf.org or you can text 813-433-0885. So let's take one of our emailer questions. Uh, Glenn. So this says, any suggestions for getting a dog to come back when highly stimulated, such as hiking, dog park, German short hair, young, not well trained at this point? That is, um, that can be a challenge, but it can absolutely is something that can be trained. Um, the big challenge, though, like you're saying, if you're out hiking and it's off leash, there's so many good things out there for the dog to smell um, that it's like, well, yeah, I want to come back to you, mom or dad, but I got to sniff this, or I want to go to the bathroom on this, or wait a minute, I'm following a scent and heading, you know, I want to keep following this scent and see where it goes. The key thing with doing recall, coming when called on that is to start off in a, it, I like usually start right in the house to where the dog it does not have anything that is going to distract her other than what you're trying to do with her at that moment. And since dogs are creatures of habit, if we can start building that recall inside the house to where as soon as, let's say her name is Daisy, and it's Daisy here, you know, I'm using here for an example, and I, I say it kind of with that emphasis because you want to be excited with it. You want Daisy to just all of a sudden say, whoa, what's going on? I need to run in there and find out. And that all of a sudden becomes can be exciting for the dog. Yeah. Usually on coming when called, and this ties back to what we were talking about earlier of rates and reinforcement and when you start backing out the treat. On coming when called, I never back out treat. Every time I'm doing that or teaching that to a dog, they always get something really valuable. And the reason is I want I don't want that dog to ever think when they, when she hears Daisy here that well I'm going to wait because I don't know if I'm going to get anything from yeah. her. Daisy is conditioned that well of course I'm going back I'm going to get cheese or I'm going to get turkey or I'm going to get something like that that is going to again for most dogs that's going to build that continuing to come back to you now yeah. it doesn't matter in this case that she's always expecting that treat because when it's going to happen and you're going to need it the most is when um a service person has come over and has left the, has gone out to their trunk and left uh, the truck and left the front door open cracked mm, a little bit mm -hmm. and and what you see is daisy's back in running down the street but if daisy's conditioned to daisy here Daisy's going to be like, whoa, wait a minute. And that's going to increase the odds that she's going to be coming back to you. I got you. Wow, that uh, makes but good sense. Also in that is movement, because when I am 
teaching that recall. Also, the hand, my hands are usually down between my legs. I'm clapping, but I'm also assuming that I'm in eyesight or the dog can see me. I'm also starting to move away from the dog a little bit. So I'm actually kind of just take some step backwards as if I'm going to turn around and want to run away from the dog because often to get a dog to come to you, you've got to, you need to start that, you need to start moving away from the dog to begin with because all of a sudden then FOMO kicks in. It's like, wait a minute, where are you going? Where are you going? I got and you. that increases the chances that they're going to be coming back to you. But I can tell you with one of my dogs, he got really, really good on recall. But if it was a duck that was out, I would always lose to a duck. Because <laughs> okay. that, I, and I think it was the movement. I think it was the flight. You know, those things. There was yeah. just a novel aspect. Too much to duck. compete with, probably. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there, there's... You know, I mean, they they are went well. That's one of the things about making that choice is that they are going to make the choice. And if all of a sudden it's something that is really in their brain and is set for it, then it it can be a challenge. I mean, yeah. it can really, really be a challenge at that point. But yeah, so okay. that's um that's the best. That's Very good. Thing. Oh, but but to close that, up, I mean to wrap that up. This is something that with the one I was talking about got really good with re. With recall, except for with ducks. I mean, it was probably for months inside the house. I would just, out of random, if he was doing something, not paying any attention, scout here, you know, and get him to come to me. And mm. that made such a big difference because he never knew when he was going to hear it, but yeah. he became so conditioned to hearing that that it was almost automatic to come flying. The back. response was consistent. Yeah. Exactly. That's great. All right, let's take another caller. Hi, you're on Talk Animals with Ask the Trainer with Glenn Hatchell. Again, uh, calls are coming in at 813-239-9663 if you have a question for Glenn, or you can email dj at wmnf.org or uh, text us at 813-433-0885 for any questions about your dog or your cats or your pigs, behavior or training issue, etc. So, hi, you're on Talk Animals with Glenn, uh, Ask the Trainer with Glenn Hatchell. Go ahead, please. Um, hello. Hi, it's you. Um, I have a I have a little dog. I think he's part Yorkshire Terrier and part Chihuahua. I rescued him about almost three months ago. But he's from the South Side of Chicago, so that may that may explain a little of his behavior. <laughs> okay. He he, he, um, he I've been able to train him to recall and uh, you know the sort of typical things that you would train, but he really does not like other dogs or mm-hmm. particularly men, and I he just goes a little bit wacky when they get when we're walking and he sees them and i don't know how to stop him from doing that that can be that can be a big challenge and i'm going to ask of course I, I think i've said that at the beginning for all of these <laughs> um how old is he they i the vet thinks he's somewhere between two and four years old okay two and four years old so a couple of factors that i think are playing into this one there are it does seem to me that little dogs have can sometimes have more reaction to other dogs, um, especially Yorkies. Not always. I mean, I've known other Yorkies who have been very, very social with all dogs. Um, but I, one of the things based on around that age, um, and this is really a stretch, and I'm sure there's people that could absolutely dispute this, but I have seen more um, examples of this than pandemic lockdown. So I think there's 
probably there could be some socialization aspect through there that could have been missed during that time um, when he's young. But of course, there's a range through here, so that may not be the case that it was really pandemic related. But the if if a dog does not have that exposure when they're young, the default as their adult is fear and the reaction to it. Now, having said all of that, that doesn't help you at all yet, but one of the first things I would try is a Thunder shirt. And I think I have mentioned this before and seldom do I talk about a brand, but there are other calming type shirts, but they actually make extra small Thunder shirts that I have used on very small dogs before. Thunder shirts generally came, I mean, when they came out, the idea was to help with noise folks, unexpected sounds. And what I realized is that it addresses that by helping relax and calm the dog. And so often, if we can get the dog in a little bit calmer state, two things can happen. One, the intensity of the reaction is less, but also at that point with a less intense reaction, the dog is more likely to take a reward, like a food reward. And then we can start changing that reaction to, I would start with people before men, before I would start with other dogs, honest. Um, and there's two ways to do that. I just think he's got that reaction and comfortable with you. It The beginning would be, oh, look, there's a man coming here. Here's a reward for you. Here's a treat for you. So what we, and this again is easier said than done, is instead of the reaction being your dog sees a man and wants to bark, your dog sees the man and looks at you for the reward. So that's the goal. That's what we would head for. But depending on the intensity, you, there may also trainer may also recommend talking to your veterinary about medication because there's a lot of dogs that are on medication to help with these kinds of things but again usually that medication is is aimed towards reducing anxiety calming them down a little bit and for many dogs the thunder shirt will do that so that would be what i would probably try first okay We'll give it a try. All he's right. not very food motivated, but we'll, especially when he's in that in that state, he's just like, exactly. I don't care. Well, and I'll tell you, that's sometimes where the fun comes in, or, of course, I always thought of it as fun, of trying to find what it is that's going to motivate him. Right. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, it may be doing something like lunch meat. That's not unusual, you know, for if they're at certain level. Um, I mean, I've, I have worked with dogs before where literally we tried everything, even sardines, to see if it was, if it was something that was unique and novel enough. Um, so rather than looking at that as a challenge, think of that as, as a fun thing. Let's find out what you'll go for. Um, <laughs> but much like the recall, much like I was talking about on getting coming when called, this is also something you can practice in your house to begin with um, to get him a little conditioned of, oh, when mom says this, I need to look at her because I'm going to get a reward for it. So it's kind of building up a little bit or building up some and getting some um, – Getting getting it set up a little bit inside without those distractions before all of you know the tall man in the hat and the jacket comes walking up. <laughs> okay, thank you very much.
Thank you so much for your call. Thanks for calling. So, again, if you just uh, tuned in maybe a bit late and are just joining us now, this is Talking Animals on WNF as it usually is. But what's different today is our guest is Glenn Hatchell returning for another edition of Ask the Trainer. And, again, Glenn is Behavior and Enrichment Manager at the Humane Society of Tampa Bay and a um, accomplished dog trainer and behaviorist. And uh, he's fielding questions about your dog or cat. And we initially started talking a little bit also about a pig that he had worked with. So... Any or all those kind of questions about behavior, training, anything else that might be in that realm? We have a few minutes left of today's show. You can call 813-239-9663. You can uh, email us at dj at wmnf.org or you can text 813-433-0885. So, Glenn, anything you want to come back to about the um, things we were talking about at the top of the show about choice and sort of what, what that sort of develops in that animal regardless Absolute, of... Absolutely, because there's a couple of things in all of those scenarios that could come into play um, that we aren't, we aren't necessarily aware of. <clears throat> and the two biggest stressors for dogs are smells and, well, smells and sounds unexpected sounds. Um, obviously, from a smell aspect, that can go both ways. Um, one is working a scent of, you know, maybe a dog that's going to the bathroom there or just something that is really, really enticing for the dog. But because of that level of smelling ability that the dogs have, and to give you an idea, we have, we as humans in our um, nasal passages and all our, our olfactory um, have about 6 million smell receptors. Dogs have over 250 million. Wow. So we're talking, you know, 6 to 250 million. <laughs> Um, which is obviously a, you know, they're, they're smelling things that we can't even imagine, including fear pheromone from other animals, other dogs, which is if, if anyone is familiar with uh, the Fear Free program and you can search online for Fear Free Homes, lots of great education for pet owners at home, but they talk very, they talk a lot about your animal going to the vet, for example. And many animals go into a vet, obviously they're scared and they're releasing these fear pheromones. So those are, that's an example to where your dog may be hesitating to go through it and your dog may be thinking, how does, how does, how do they not know what's on the other side? You know, we think it's fine and the dog is smelling all this fear, for example, or again, not quite at that level, but also the the higher tones, the higher pitches that a dog can hear. There may be some sounds that the dog's picking up that we're not even aware, even aware of. So I would say don't lose sight of the fact that just because you're not aware of the stressor, there may be something that your dog is aware of that is absolutely the reason he's hesitating. So that was the main thing that I wanted to really touch around, that there are can be so many things that are really giving your dog stress at the moment that you're not aware of. Um, and at that point, we watch them and try to see, okay, well, what if we move this way? What if we move this way? What if I give a treat trail for you? And again, that's where the fun comes in, because then we rearrange things to 
try to get the animal to make a choice. And it's, uh, as you're doing here, but just for those of us who are lay people by comparison, it sounds like it's really a matter of uh, ongoing problem solving. Oh, absolutely. Very much so. Yeah, just trying to figure out, like, okay, what's going to get this to work with this dog today based on what happened yesterday and last week? Yep, that's correct. And I got to ask, Glenn, where did that pig that you were talking about at the beginning of the show, where did that pig end up? Because it sounds like it's not, not over there any longer, if I understood no, correctly. Adopted, adopted by um, a guy. Actually, the guy and his daughter, who lived up in Zephyr Hills and had a farm, came in and met, and it was perfect. And this was, I want to say this was probably about four months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure she's put on a couple hundred pounds since then. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, I haven't talked about the donkeys. We had two donkeys within the last year that I was able to work with as well. What was the goal there? Uh, actually, Glenn, hold, hold that thought. Let's, we have one kind of last-minute call. Let's okay. see if we can get them involved. All right. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Glenn Hatchell. It's Ask the Trainer on WMNF. Uh, yes, sir. I just got a bit quick question. Okay. Uh, I have a lab, a lab, a female. She's about a year and four months, and I do have a pool. Uh, it has a steps, but like a deep steps, so I can't get her to go swimming. I know she loves to swim. I took her to a baby before. She loves swimming. By my push, I can't get her to get in. Um, much like, how old is she, roughly? How old is the uh, the dog, sir? She's, she's, she's a year and four months. Okay. Okay, so she's not, I was thinking if it was a puppy and such. So what it could be is that there may be, well, actually, this ties back to um, exactly what Duncan and I were just talking about, but... This may come to eyesight, and again, this is something that I learned from Temple Grandin is depth perception, Um, that many dogs have, well, most dogs don't have the depth perception that we have as humans with our vision, or that even cats have. Cats have great depth perception, but with dogs, they may, you may have seen probably if she walks up to, let's say, a drain gate, I mean, you know, a gate, a drain that's down, you know, in the ground and stuff, you know, most dogs won't walk across something like that because to them, there's no ending to it. Here's this big hole that they're going to fall into. And my first thought was that since you said that she'll get in the small pool and stuff and go on that first step, that there may be a depth perception aspect that's going on here that she's just a little unsure and hesitant about it. Um, And if you've been listening to the whole show where we've talked about incentives, um, I would try an incentive for her, you know, and just see if you can get her to start making that one more step and try to do it on her own. Um, And again, this is one to where I'll answer it that way, but there could be so many different factors that are coming into play that's causing that hesitation. What I would suggest is just keep working because like you said, it sounds like she loves the water. It's just right now, she just hasn't built that confidence yet to take that next step. Sounds good. Thank you very much, sir, for that. Absolutely. Thanks for calling. Thanks. Thanks so much for your call. And I think that puts us pretty much towards the end of uh, our show. Glenn, any quick uh, wrap-up for just uh, 30 seconds or so, and then I'll I'll do the overall wrap-up, and then we... uh, That'll probably be it for today. Well, I guess we talked about smells there, and that kind of touched on eyesight. That's the other thing that dogs don't see the same way we do. And a dog that's got a short nose like a Yorkie, 
is going to really be able to see things in detail up close, and a dog with a long snout like a German Shepherd is going to be able to pick up something uh, details from you know a hundred yards away. So there's so many factors, so many things that our animals are dealing with mm-hmm. that we're oblivious to, and that's one of the big reasons to give them a choice because we really they can't tell us. <laughs> so we've just got to continue to coerce them. Yeah, and hope for the best. And it sounds like exactly why it's important to do training and kind of the things that you're talking about, because otherwise it's just a shot in the dark and uh, you got to have some sort of principle to apply to try to sort out like what's going on with that dog or that cat or that pig at that given moment. Exactly. Okay, Glenn. Well, thank you so much. This has been Glenn Hatchell again. He is the Behavior and Enrichment Manager at the Humane Society of Tampa Bay. We do this every three or four months. It's called Ask the Trainer. This is... Uh, talking animals on WNF. Glenn, we'll see you again in three or four months. Thank you so much for your time and expertise Sounds once good. again. And one final thing for all who've been listening, hit the tip jar, WMNF.org. Oh, I appreciate that. That's really kind. Okay, we'll see you next time, Glenn. Thank you so much. All right. Always fun. All right. Coming up next, it's Slice of Life, the wonderful new show hosted by Randy Zimmerman. And then we shift back to music programming with Jim Bannon and uh, Robin and Cassie after that. It's Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Thanks so much.